every once in a while I'll hear about websites and I think this can't be. In fact, on your communication card, I would like you to write down websites you can't believe that exist. Maybe you know some. I'd just be curious on them. There is a website called girlfriendhire.com. You can hire a girlfriend. It's for single guys, and that's good. And uh, single guys can hire women to fulfill girlfriend-related duties. Now, it's not what you, some of you might be thinking. It's things like pretending to be Facebook sweethearts or sending fawning emails, which the dudes can show their bros. That's what it says. It's basically to impress your friends or to impress a girl. And then there's another website called housebites.com. Want to impress at your next dinner party? This British company will deliver a fully cooked meal complete with dirty pots and pans to make it look like you slaved away for hours in the kitchen. And it got me thinking about all the commercials that promise you can be the envy of the neighborhood, the envy of your friends, impress others with your house, your car, your clothes, your body, or your hair, whatever. We talk a lot about image, and it's all about playing to an audience. Last week, we talked about the powerful urge to sexual temptation. This week is the powerful urge to do things so that others will think more highly of us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs us about who our audience is or should be, and he asks, when you pray and when you give and when you take communion or when you're fasting or whatever, who's the audience? Whose approval are you seeking? Matthew 6.1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In front of others to be seen by them. And as we read the rest of this, by the way, I want you to notice how many times the word hypocrite appears and the, t- and the word reward. Jesus talks specifically about these three areas of giving, praying, and fasting and asks who's the audience. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray, and this is the Lord's Prayer. And I would, would you read this with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. As we also have forgiven our debtors, And lead us not, for thine is the king. Yeah, that's King James. We don't do King James right now. Anyway, uh, then he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The word reward occurs six times in these verses. And if you give and fast and pray and do it to play to an audience of people, you've got your reward and that's it. 
However, if you do to an audience of one, to him, he will reward you. When our aim is to impress other human beings about how devout we are, God will let us do that, and he'll just stand by the side, go ahead, you know, have your reward, and others might be impressed, and others might think that you're a godly man or woman, but that's going to be it. Now, some say that the reward motive should have no place in the Christian life. It sounds immature, you know, whatever happened to altruism, doing good things because of their intrinsic merit, just do it because it's the right thing to do. You don't need the reward. And some modern ethicists have ever actually looked down their nose on Jesus because he speaks of rewards. But we need to understand that there are natural rewards and unnatural. Some say that the reward of heaven makes Christianity a mercenary thing. You know, I do these things in order I can, so I can have heaven. I do think some Christians do have that thinking. That the main reason they are Christian is to get that final paycheck, that reward. If the reward has no natural connection with the things that to earn it, you do to earn it, then it is a mercenary thing. For instance, money is not the natural reward of love. And that's why we call a man or woman a mercenary for marrying someone for their money. If the reward of love is money, that's not a natural connection. But there is a natural reward for love, good relationship, joy of camaraderie, a healthy, rewarding relationship, and no one would say that's wrong. It's just natural. It's it's the result of love. And the natural reward of loving God is a relationship with Him That's deep and a relation that will be forever. We want God now, and someday we will have God eternally. It's just a natural outcome. God, you think about it, He gives you what you want. If you want God, He'll give give Himself to you for eternity. And if you don't want God, you'll not have Him for eternity. It's just the natural result. God gives us what we want. Now, in this passage, obviously some religious people were wanting the unnatural reward of impressing people through their praying and giving and fasting. The natural reward of those three acts is not about impressing people. The natural reward is a relationship with God. Now, these three were all considered basic acts of righteousness performed by Jewish people, Jewish leaders. And Jesus' point is you can do these right actions with the wrong motive. You can be seeking the unnatural reward of giving, praying, and fasting. Now, let me say here, just as a side, when Jesus says to do these things in secret... He's not teaching that we should ban all public praying or any public display of worship. The early church prayed publicly. Jesus did it, and we are to do it as well. He's not teaching that we should hide all our good deeds, and it might be appropriate at times to do that in some cases, but that's not the point. The issue here is the intent and the purpose and the motive. Why do you pray? Why do you give? Why do you fast? Why do you teach Sunday school? Why do you take communion? Why do you sing? Why do I preach? What's the motivation? We can actually go three ways. There's three options. We can give, pray, and fast publicly for people to see. And they see us and think highly of us. And we, we like that affirmation. Or we can give, pray, and fast for God. And God will reward us. And that's enough for us. And that's what Jesus wants here. But there's a third option. We can give, pray, and fast privately for ourselves. And we congratulate ourselves on how humble we are. And how good we are. And play to an audience of self. Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Basically saying, don't be congratulating yourself. So the main point is, we're to seek the presence and the approval of God, not the approval of others, even the approval of self. Jesus calls his followers to direct engagement with God. The other key word, or the word that's repeated quite a bit, is hypocrite. 
And we all know what a hypocrite is. It's a, it's a play actor. The word comes from the theater where actors wore masks while they were on stage and pretending to be something they weren't or someone they weren't, and they acted to receive the applause of an audience. Now, in a thesaurus, I decided to look this up and see what some other words for hypocrite were, and it includes words like charlatan, imposter, phony, bluffer, deceiver, fake, fraud, masquerader, two-faced, all ugly words. I couldn't find any good word that was similar to hypocrite. No one likes hypocrites including Jesus. In Matthew 23, I know I've read this before, but Jesus expands on his disdain for hypocrisy, and I'm not going to read all of it because he goes on and on and on about it, but he does say everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats of the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. And he goes on and on, and then he says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Jesus does not like hypocrites, especially religious ones. That's the worst kind. Reminds me of a line in a movie where a girl was imagining what the perfect place would be like. She said it would be just like heaven, only better. There wouldn't be any Christians there. When you have friends outside the church who talk about and bring up hypocrites in the church, I think I would tell them, Jesus agrees with you. Jesus hated religious hypocrites probably more than you do. And then read Matthew 23. And then I'd also say, you know, I've got some hypocrisy in me. In fact, I think probably most people have some hypocrisy. We don't all do the the, the things for the right reasons. Someone asked Swiss counselor Paul Tournier, what's your definition of hypocrite? And he said, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It is I. What bothers me most about this text, and really the whole sermon, this has been a convicting sermon for me. And it actually gets worse in chapter 7, so it's not going to get any better. The brunt of Jesus' attacks were against who? Religious people, religious leaders. These guys, these religious leaders, they knew the Bible, they prayed, they taught the Bible, they were moral. People respected them. They were the preachers of the day. And it's a sober reminder to me of how easy it is for it all to become unreal and phony. For all of us, and especially religious leaders. There are dangers to being paid in ministry. For paid, I'm a professional Christian in a sense. I'm paid to be a certain person. And in a sense, I'm paid to be good. Uh, once in a while, I ask myself, Would I do this if I were not paid to do this? And all through this sermon, I've been asking myself every week, you know, because of these religious leaders and the phoniness, would I be as patient and as understanding with people as I am if I weren't paid to be? Would I be as forbearing and self-controlled and magnanimous and wonderful as I am if I were not paid to be this way? I'm paid to be good. Most of you are good for nothing. And I respect that. (laughs) A pastor stood up to preach when his wife and two children came in and they were all carrying suitcases. And after the service, he asked them, what is going on coming to church with these suitcases? And the wife said, well, last night, the children and I had a long discussion and we concluded that you are a better person in church than you are at home. So we decided we're going to come and live at the church. You're not going to believe this 
But Ellen walked into first service, believe it or not, with a suitcase in her hand. Seriously, she's doing something for the twos and threes up there, and Ellen is not a good Sunday to do that. But anyway, there's a Latin proverb that said, there's nothing worse than the corruption of the best. And Jesus sees the best, these religious leaders, and they get corrupted, and it is the worst. There's another quote that says, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. And what really ticks Jesus off, I I think they were using God. I think this is what ticks him off. They were exploiting God in order to gain the approval of people or exploiting God for selfish means, you know, maybe to get money. All of us like social approval. We we like it when others respect us, as approval can be deeply wounding, so approval disappears. Uh, disapproval could be wounding, so approval can be deeply rewarding, and Jesus knows that there is a reward for approval. It's okay, we call it encouragement sometimes, but it can be intoxicating, and Jesus is warning the danger of seeking approval of others, making that our primary goal, because it is intoxicating, and it's even self-deceptive. What will people think can actually become a psychological illness? I think they call it social anxiety disorder. What will others think? People become enslaved to other people's opinions. So Jesus has in mind not just faking. He has in mind also the self-deceit that can creep in. I can be doing this religious stuff for show and not even be aware I'm doing it. Why are you an elder? Why do you serve? I was at a minister's meeting once and I said something. In fact, it was just last week. And as soon as I said that, I knew I did it to make me look good. We can do this and not even know we're doing it. Giving. He says, don't sound the trumpets. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't give, in other words, a spirit of self-congratulations. Don't be thinking much about it all. And maybe it would help if we understood some facts about giving. I think it's very logical to give in a spirit of humility if we realize these facts. Fact number one is we own nothing. We are caretakers and stewards of what God decided to entrust to us. We have nothing except God gives it, and God owns it all. If I gave you $100 and you gave me $10 back, how could you be haughty or proud that you gave me those $10? I gave you $100, you know. And God gives us so much, and whatever we give to Him is just a fraction of what we give to Him. Fact number two, biblical giving is an act of gratitude. And if giving is a trial or a burden, or or if you're proud of your generosity... You don't really appreciate what God has done for you. And you will never give in humility until you get this. Biblical giving is an act of thanksgiving. Number three, we've been blessed to bless others. The reason we have what we have is not to hoard it. That's not why God blessed us. He blessed us so we could be a conduit of blessing. God's blessing flows to us so it can flow through us. And God uses us to bless others. By the way, giving here is improved. Uh, I don't know if you remember some of you, the elders got up about a year ago and just talked about some of our financial needs here and the giving, you've responded. And we're going to have some reports in the next couple of weeks where we're at financially. But with that said, never be proud. We can never be proud of giving. And in fact, number four, material things will pass away. The best investment you'll ever make is not in a bank or CD or stocks or bonds or gold, but in the storehouses of heaven. So when you give, all you're doing is making a good investment an investment in heaven, in eternity. And that'll be next week's text. So don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't be congratulating yourself. It's about direct engagement with God. Just give to Him, engage with Him, no matter what others think. Now, I usually put our offering in first service. And sometimes during second service, and it'll happen today, I think, now do people wonder if I'm a giver? Do I practice what I preach? 
Because I hardly ever put an offering in second service. And I'm wondering, people in second service, do they see me? So maybe I should put something in second service so people will see me and all that. Don't worry about it. How about those who do automatic withdrawal? Do they put something in so people can see they do actually put something in? We just need to ask, am I giving to God? Or am I doing it to impress others? Who am I going to answer to? Whose reward am I seeking after? Prayer. He has this picture of a man or woman praying in a synagogue or on a street corner. It would be a man back in that culture. Lifting up their arms, gurgling ecclesiastic theological phrases for hours at a time. Saying, and people say, my, what devotion. Now, it was okay to pray on street corners in the synagogue, but why are you doing it? And then he gives this example of how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. All devout Jews pray three times a day. And it could be that Jesus was saying, when you do your set prayers, pray this prayer. Three times a day, morning, afternoon, evening. Jews recited a prayer like Muslims do today. And this may be the Christian set prayer. The Didache, which was a Jewish Christian document, informs us that Christians were instructed to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. And I would suggest pray this prayer at least daily. Every morning I get into my journal and there's three or four passages at the top of my journal and I usually change some of them out over time, but there's one that's always there that'll never change, and that is the Lord's Prayer, because this is the core of all that needs to be said. I used to think, in fact, I was raised to believe this way, that repeating the Lord's Prayer too often would make it rote repetition, meaningless. Well, the Catholics and Lutherans and Methodists, they do it every Sunday, and it doesn't mean anything to them, you know. Well, I've learned otherwise. Reciting the Lord's Prayer can be helpful. It teaches me how to pray. It teaches what we are to yearn for. And I find myself more and more praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what I want. This prayer is a daily reminder that our bread, our daily bread, our basics comes from God. It reminds us that he's our father and we want his name glorified, not ours. It reminds us we need to forgive. It reminds us we need protection from evil. It reorders our desires. We learn to yearn for the right things. Instead of prayer being so self-centered, which it tends to be on our own, this prayer gives us the right things to yearn for. His will, not ours, to be done. So memorize this prayer. Make it a part of your daily diet. And then, of course, you'll still have your informal, personal, conversational prayer where you just talk to God and and make some of your uh, thoughts and requests known to Him. You've got to have both. Recitation and conversation. And then fasting. The faster disfigures his face, looks dismal, puts old clothes on, no bath for days, praying fervently. I've been fasting for 12 days and people are impressed. I kind of like I kind of see fasting as I look at runners. I don't understand running. But I'm impressed. And many today don't understand fasting. Boy, when someone does it, it's impressive. Fasting was quite common in the Bible, Old Testament and New. You can fast for a variety of reasons. You can be in response to something bad, like the threat of war or something bad happening in your family. You can fast to deepen your prayer life or for for repentance. You can fast when you have a strong request from God. But instead of making a show of piety, just look normal so no one will know. If we lived back in Jesus' day, Most of us would say the Pharisees were great people. They began as kind of a Puritan reform movement in Israel. They were concerned about the inroads of paganism into the Jewish nation. Israel was being secularized. And the Pharisees, the word means separated ones. 
They devoted themselves to the zealous pursuit of righteousness, almost fanatical about pleasing God. So their origin, their foundation was noble. But it can degenerate into external pietism and do it just for the show. And that's the danger for preachers and for people who are active in the church, like many of you. We start with noble ideals, but it can degenerate into less than noble ideals. The Pharisees were evangelistic, better than most of us, and yet Jesus said they were evangelists of hell. They were tithers. Most Christians don't tithe. We're worse than the Pharisees in, in many ways. They were men of prayer. They prayed more than most of us, I'm sure. They fasted. Most Christians today don't fast. They read their Bibles more so than us. Jesus said they were diligent about Scripture. You can do all these things, all the right things, and be far from the kingdom. And it is a sobering reminder. And this is particularly for you who are active leaders in the church, you who are key people, deacons, elders, staff, teachers, team leaders, you, know, you, know, you who are here every Sunday have to do a motive check. Why am I here? He said, so I can know and serve my God. And some of you might be, man, maybe I better quit serving. No. Just need to change the motive. Get back to that noble ideal. There's an old hymn we're going to sing a little later. And here's one of the verses from You Are My Vision. I don't want riches or man's empty praise. You're my inheritance now and always. You and you only, the first in my heart. King of heaven, my treasure, you are. And your Father in heaven will reward you. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for these privileges, these gifts of giving, praying, fasting, Thank you that we can come into your presence through these avenues. And Lord, we just pray as we look at your son's words to help us to never let them become ways to impress others or ways to please people, but that we would do them simply because we want to know you and live for you. You are our reward. You are our focus, our Lord and our God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.